Today's episode of the Rail Splitter podcast is a book club episode, and we will be discussing chapters five, six, and seven of Lincoln's Greatest Speech by Ronald C. White. Now, now, now. Not five, not four, not two, just three. The Rail Splitter, axe in hand, looking out at a frontier of hope and possibility. In excellent to each other. Party on, dudes! Welcome to the Rail Splitter Podcast, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mary, and tonight I'm joined by my co-host, Rail Splitter, Nick. What's up, people listening to me in your eardrums? And even though he's not here in person, Rail Splitter Jeremy is most definitely here with us in spirit. So just a few little things to mention before we dive into our episode. So quick shout out to Dave Taylor, who joined us last week for a discussion of the documentary Killing Lincoln. It was a great episode to record, and I actually came away from it learning a little bit more. Dave always brings so much with him when he's a guest on the show, and we hope to have him back again sometime. And we actually, the the episode seemed to get a bit of discussion going on Twitter and Facebook. I don't know if you saw any of it, Nick, but it was quite interesting what people had to say about the documentary. Yes, uh, I think somebody owes us part of their royalties because it sounds like several of our listeners, uh, several of you went out there and uh, watched it or are planning on watching it. And Bill O'Reilly definitely seems to be a roadblock or was a roadblock for many people when it came to viewing it, so... We were glad that um, we took that fear away from people and hopefully they went out or will go out and enjoy watching it. Yeah, but there's a lot of, it was a lot of positive feedback. And there was even one teacher who um, replied to us on the Real Twitter Twitter account that said he's been, he puts it out there as extra credit for his students and they always, um, they really enjoy it. Um, And it was just nice to see all those interactions happening. And like we had some people that chimed in said, Oh, I've seen it before. And it's really good. And others that were like, I'd avoided it until now. And now I'm going to watch it. And which was, as you said, really, like, it's really great to see that because it's a documentary that I think deserves to be watched. But there was just that little roadblock block there, Bill O'Reilly, like, um, and also we should mention, we are up to 200 Facebook followers. So thank you. Yeah, it's awesome. So get it. if you're not part of the Facebook group, uh, I don't know what they got to do, request an invite or something. I don't even know. Yeah, they go find us, like us, and then we'll get you in there and then talk Lincoln. Yeah, and then also our Twitter account, I think, is up to about 746 followers, which is really, really awesome. And everybody's um, very good about supporting us on social media, and we definitely appreciate it. It's always neat to see the discussions that happen on on both platforms. Um, significantly larger than my Twitter account, but still <laughs> very small compared to yours, Mary. <laughs> the real splitter account will get up there. So before we dive into our discussion about Lincoln's greatest speech, um, we do have some Lincoln news to share with you, which is an article uh, that Nick found. So Nick, do you want to tell us a little bit about this? Um, it's kind of a off the wall article that you found about Lincoln. Yeah. Each week, usually we try to, see what is happening current event-wise with Lincoln. Uh, usually this is done by me. Well, when I take the initiative to actually look at something, which is very rare, usually it's done an hour before the show, but I did this the other night, so I think last 24 hours before the show. Yes, I got the text from you last night. 
But uh, yeah, so I came across a Chicago Sun-Times article talking about a deathbed photo of Abraham Lincoln, which kind of ties into last week's episode. Basically, there is this family. Well, what would you say it started out like? Oh, here it is. It it was like this thing where it was, um, there was a few people involved. The the article starts off with like, there's an auctioneer, his ex-wife, a dentist, a distant relative of Lincoln. And former Illinois Governor James Big Jim Thompson. Yeah, so you're exactly right. <laughs> I like as soon as that I read that I'm like, what is going on? So basically, there was people who have this picture of a person laying in a bed who they believe is Abraham Lincoln in his deathbed, and they actually had somebody look at it. And I can't remember the name, but they did have somebody try to verify mm-hmm. whether it was Lincoln or not, and they believe that it is not. So um, there is a, po- a picture that is out there that does exist of the bed and linens where Lincoln died, mm-hmm. but no known picture of Lincoln in his deathbed. So there's already questions around whether it's historically accurate or if the photos are fake. So um, as far as reading it, it sounds like it's a, there's a good chance that it is fake. Yeah, just, ba- just go from, ahead. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it probably would be fake. So the story is supposedly in the 1980s, um, the guy said he befriended a Margaret Hanks uh, Schreiber uh, who lived in Quincy, and she was a distant relative of Lincoln's mother, Nancy Hanks. Um, And she said she would take food over there um, to the family and stuff, so there was some type of connection. And then basically she got some memorabilia eventually, and she sold it to the gentleman, uh, Mr. Davis, and the picture was included in that. Um, so, and then at one point, they actually brought in a historical expert, you know, kind of with the governor attached to it to see if it was true. Um, the guy told him it wasn't, but still, Thompson, Big Jim Thompson, actually offered to buy the photo for 25000 even though somebody said that they could not certify it as being um, Lincoln in the picture. Then things get really weird because eventually an ex wife gets a hold of it. Um, has it in the safe. And this all goes down to like 2007 um, when he files a lawsuit trying to get it back. So this makes for like a good Lifetime movie, I feel like. You know, I think so, too. It sounds almost like, I don't know, National Treasure-esque, kind of crazy in a way. Like just when it was like she stole it out of the safe and then sold it to somebody else. And just the whole like you know, meeting with the governor. And then I think it was Lloyd Ostendorf, who's, um, he has since passed away, but mm-hmm. he's like the a top authority. It was a top authority on Lincoln images and, and photographs. And he's saying it's fake, but then it's like, Oh, but here we want to give you this much money for it. What that, that struck me as really odd. Yeah, and then the ex-wife actually sold it to somebody else, mm-hmm. and that's who he's got the lawsuit against, I believe. Yeah. It, so <laughs> it's crazy. It's just another one of those things that comes up like every few years you get something that's like, oh, we found another thing to do with Lincoln. And it, of course, it's Lincoln. Everybody thinks, oh, yeah, but you can't. It's so hard to authenticate this stuff, and there's a lot of fake stuff floating around about him that – I mean, I can't see them even setting up a camera as he's dying and taking a picture of him. 
Yeah, I mean, you got that going on too. Yeah, I know that was the thing in Victorian times to photograph um, like the dead, but I don't, I can't, I can't see them doing something like that. I feel like that would have been like recorded too. Like somebody would have jotted it down somewhere. I, yeah, someone would have said, "Hey, this so and so, like that, the stenographer." Yeah, probably would have made like somebody. There were so many witnesses. Somebody would have made note of something like that. So I think this is just another one of those. Like this is definitely fake. I don't think I see Stanton letting anybody do it. <laughs> no, I don't. I I think he was pretty strict about who he was letting in there. And I think if someone was like, yeah. "Hey, can we take a picture of him?" He would have he would have said, "No, absolutely not." Like I think he would have seen that as being very disrespectful. Didn't they, like, keep the house open for people to come visit afterwards? Am I, I making that up? I I want to think they might have, because that seems like another thing they would have done in Victorian times. Like, so, we need Dave on the show again. Yes. Call him up. Yeah, <laughs> we need Dave back to, to answer some of these questions for us. But, yeah, so thank you for finding that article, Nick. That was really, it was really off the wall and kind of cool to talk about it on the show, so... Yeah, it was I, the Lifetime movie. It's about time Lincoln gets a Lifetime yep, movie. Yeah, but it is a photograph of him dying. Maybe we should all get together and make it. Yeah. <laughs> turn, or turn it into a documentary. Follow the guy around as he tries to figure out where his, get his photograph back and if it's authentic or not. Dude, if I'm going to do a documentary, it's going to be what the hell happened to Cornelius at the museum down I there. I know, right? <laughs> What the hell's up with this top hat? That's the doc piece. I agree. Yeah, that's as we discussed. Hopefully, no filmmakers are listening to us and stealing their ideas. <laughs> yeah. so. Next thing you know, there's a documentary on HBO about it. Probably. Damn and, it. and you don't get credit for it. All right. I'm knee deep in others. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think we're ready to dive into our book club discussion. So this week, we're discussing chapters five, six, and seven of Lincoln's Greatest Speech, which is written by uh, Ronald C. White Jr. Um, And just to kind of quick rundown of the book, it's basically a rhetorical analysis of Lincoln's second inaugural. And White has it broken down. Each paragraph is basically um, a chapter. And it's a shorter book. Um, I think, what is it, Nick, like around 200 pages? I don't know, to be honest, because it's on my Kindle. Oh, right. So um, it just tells me how many, how much time. I have like 45 minutes left. <laughs> I've got the book right here. It is not including the notes. It's about 210 pages long. So not bad. It's a, it's a yep. shorter book. Definitely shorter than his biography about Lincoln, um, as well as his biography about General Grant. Um, so even though it's a short analysis, uh, I find it to be quite in depth, but not overwhelming. But the one thing that keeps popping up in my mind, and I'd like your thoughts on this too, Nick, is you and I, um, and all the rail splitters have a pretty good base knowledge in Abraham Lincoln. Now, somebody that is just wanting to get into Abraham Lincoln, I don't know how much they would get out of this book because... I think it requires you to have that kind of base knowledge, um, having, you know, at least having read like White's biography or Donald's biography or even uh, Dr. Kent's um, book about Lincoln that we had in the first um, Real Splitter Book Club, which was called Abraham Lincoln, the Man That Saved America. Um, So what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I would agree 100%. I would not. If you haven't read many Lincoln bios, I wouldn't start with this. It's a good supplement to have with some other stuff. Um, yeah, like if you haven't read anything about Lincoln, you're going to fall asleep in Chapter 6. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Especially, especially if you're non-religious and you don't know much about Lincoln, you're for sure falling asleep in Chapter 6. I, I would I would definitely agree with that. So, yeah, if you're... Um... If you're relatively new to the world of Lincoln, uh, don't make this your first book about him. Um, look to another one of the, and there's many biographies to choose from, but I mean, I would recommend either Donald's or White's. Uh, and Dr. Kent's is an excellent jumping off point too um, for, mm-hmm. for people as well. But yeah, this is definitely one to kind of, after you know a little bit, after you have that kind of base knowledge, this is a good one to go into. Yeah, I would agree 100% with that. And then, so before we get into the chapters, like the major themes, um, I'm pulling away them to be like religion. He does a lot of comparisons. Um, He looks at what Lincoln said in the past and how it kind of paved the way for his, what came about in the second inaugural. And then also Lincoln's growth as a president and white presents this through analysis of his words, which is what he's known for in his, his writings, his, his biography, a Lincoln does that quite a bit too. There's a lot of analysis in that as well. Yeah. And I think he does a nice job. I think it's in chapter five where he kind of explains, you know, that religion definitely played a bigger role in society and American culture in that time period especially kind of coming off, you know, a lot of these adults, their parents grew up during the second great awakening, which is kind of this revival of Protestant religion. So obviously that's influencing their children, such as Abraham Lincoln. And that's the society they're going into. Um, I, and I think he does a nice job setting the table with that. So I definitely think it's a huge theme mm-hmm. um, that keeps popping up. And part of the reason it keeps popping up is because Lincoln references you know, passages from the Bible or, you know, God at several different times in the second inaugural address. Yeah. And chapter five is called both read the same Bible and pray to the same God. And it starts off with, you know, mentioning Gettysburg. And what I found interesting is just that he talks about how the soldiers, um, when they were getting their belongings together, you know, when they'd been found on the battlefield, um, that, a lot of the soldiers, like the most common possession they had was a Bible. Yeah. I mean, that goes up to current day. Like we've, because of the class I teach where we interview veterans. I mean, we've had several guys, um, probably more World War II, Korean War gentlemen, but they had that pocket Bible too, that they have and made it all the way through the journey. Um, you know, one guy was out World War II in Burma and the Himalayas and he's like, this thing went all 7,000 miles with me. It's like his prized possession. Uh, I don't know prized possession, but like the possession that most defines who he is now. So, um, But then they talked about like the numbers. There was like the jump in sales or the jump in published Bibles from the year before the Civil War to the first year of the Civil War is like 370,000. So if you just look at the data and the numbers, it just shows you how much they were trying to get these pocket Bibles in the hands of the guys. Yeah, and what I found interesting is it's different societies that were doing it. It started off as just like the American Bible Society, but then there were societies in the the South that were were doing it too. Um, 
And White also had that quote in there from James McPherson that Civil War armies were the most religious in American history. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found it, too, another thing that uh, kind of stood out for me in this chapter was uh, when White discusses that, you know, sometimes the Bible would actually have been a shield that saved a soldier. And yeah. I I thought that was, that for some reason, that kind of stuck out um, in my mind um, from this chapter. And I like that, you know, he starts off this way and it's talk like it's talking about this passage where Lincoln has said, both read the same Bible and pray to the same God. Um, and he does, like White does his, like he's talking about the different inaugural addresses that were delivered before Lincoln and how they they didn't really quote the Bible at all until John Quincy Adams. And then Lincoln's got, I think four quotes or paraphrases for like from biblical passages in this. And I think that kind of shows where he was like, again, showing white's trying to show his evolution and how he came to kind of lean on religion as the war went on and that he needed answers for, you know, what was happening and why it was happening. Yeah, and I, I think that happens to anybody who's kind of leading during a time of crisis. You know, I think you need you need to look and you need to believe that your decisions are hopefully being influenced by like a higher purpose or being done for a higher purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I just think that's just the way it is. I mean, and he definitely had to be looking for that. I don't know, kind of just rambling about that now. (laughs) Um, Well, he talks about Lincoln's use of the Bible, too, and that, you know, the Bible might have been the only book that his family owned for quite a while while he was growing up. And I'm sure that was the case for most um, families that were living on the frontier at that time. And he also mentions that Lincoln would have memorized different passages and he, White discusses the culture of memorization, which I, that stood out to me, too, because it's so different from today. Like, the amount of things that, you know, you read different things that Lincoln could just like quote Shakespeare off the top of his head. Like, I don't know about you, but there's no way <laughs> like I could, we do not memorize the same way we, they did back then. No, I like the rote memorization of just passages. Like I never even had to do like the Gettysburg address by like heart, but I know there's like, I don't know if it was my parents, but like my grandparents remember having to do that. And, I am terrible at memorizing word for word and like song lyrics and passages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't do that. So, yeah, that's just crazy. Yeah, and so. and that just like when White discussed that, it reminded me of all the times that I'd read that, like all the different things that Lincoln was able to just basically pull off the top of his head. Like, it's like oh, it's such a different time back then. Um, and then he talks about you know the Bible remains a large part of his life, especially as the war. Um continued to drag on and he's starting to see it from how basically that the soldiers are reading the same Bible and they're praying the same God, but they both think they're right. One side thinks they're right for slavery and one side thinks they're right for abolition. And um, this is where Lincoln in the speech is bringing in this idea. White calls it the inclusive God. So there's this judgment and reconciliation going on in it and I thought that's really good how he's kind of bringing in so he's looking at you know the people like the humans but then with this paragraph White's saying that he's starting to lead into talking about God and religion and like kind of the higher purpose 
um, which is probably really making his audience think at this point. Yeah, and I and I wrote this down too. I really like this idea of this inclusive God versus tribal God. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think for a lot of people, you know, for who look to religion to justify their war aims, they're viewing God as a tribal God. He's on our side and he's against the other side because they're wrong. But I think Lincoln looked at the war that this war is happening for a bigger reason than God just choosing one side over another. Yeah. There's a bigger picture to why this is happening. And I think later in the address, we get to what that bigger picture is. And then this is what was necessary to stamp out slavery, which we'll talk about, I think, I don't know if it's chapter six or seven. Um, But yeah, I I like this idea of an inclusive God as opposed to a tribal God. And then this is something we've been hearing a lot too in America when it comes to politics is tribalism that, you know, that life is, I think, especially in America, we think so much that winners and losers, mm-hmm. you're on the right side or you're on the wrong side. Yeah. But, you know, life isn't a endless game or a race where there's a winner or a loser. And when you view life like that, you just never win because there's always something or another competition down that way. And it's more of like this, this journey, this higher purpose meeting, I feel. I don't know. No, I I agree. And that's what White is trying to get across to, I think, the readers in this, that that Lincoln, you know, he's not saying, oh, hey, congratulations, we won the war. Like, he's blaming, like, he's saying that the judgment and the blame has to lie in everybody, not just the South, but the North Mm -hmm. as well, because they're there saying, oh, we're better than the South because of this. You know, and he says, like, no, it can't be that way. Like, this is... This war is on all of us, and, you know, there's no, it's not really right or wrong, but we can't judge the other side. Um, We can't bring down all this judgment because we in the North are not completely innocent, I think is what he's trying to get across in the speech. So he's not, it's not like some like, yay, we won the war. It's like, we really need to think about, this is why it happened, and move forward, and that's in chapter six, which is called the almighty has his own purposes. That's when he starts bringing in this, like starts bringing in the higher power. And I think it's like the most, a higher power has ever been brought into an inaugural up until this point mm-hmm. is the other point he was trying to get across. One other thing I want to say before we move to chapter six, mm-hmm. um, I like, he kind of talked about like, there's a lot of dispute on how much Lincoln turned to religion while in the White House. I think some people, like um, maybe your fundamentalists, would like to think Lincoln, you know, really turned to the Bible, and that's the only place he went for words of advice. I think others try to look at Lincoln and go, well, he never, you know, belonged officially to, like, you know, there's been a lot of periods in his life where he wasn't solidly belonging to a church. Um, so, therefore, you know, maybe, I don't know if atheists necessarily would claim him, but, you know, that there's, hey, look at Lincoln. He's not wasn't super religious. I think at the end of the day, I think Lincoln definitely was exposed to the Bible. There's several accounts that he definitely had the Bible in the White House that he looked through the Bible. My theory is that he looked at the Bible kind of as a book of like wisdom. He wasn't what would be called like a fundamentalist would call a true believer. I think he realized that there was a lot of wisdom within that book, just like he did with Shakespeare. 
and other things. And he utilized it and he knew the importance to culture. And obviously a lot of it resonated with him and he used it that way is how I view stuff. That's how I view it. No, I or like to think that's how he viewed it. I completely agree with you about that, Nick, that he was, you know, he wasn't tied to really any one church, even though he, you know, the one that he attended was Presbyterian. And I don't think he like, he was not hardcore into religion. Um, at all but yeah he definitely used it for wisdom it's quite clear in that and i know a lot of people who do that you know there's i mean myself i'm not i'm not at all like religious um but there's a lot of wisdom in the bible that you know you can take away from and apply it to everyday life and that's exactly what lincoln did and i think too that it provided him with comfort and as the war went on he needed more comfort you know with the death of willie and then just not being able to the war just kept going and going and going and to go to something that you know really well that had probably brought him comfort since childhood because they definitely had a Bible in their home. Like, you know, it just definitely for wisdom and to look for answers to things that faith, I guess you could say is what he had in it. Yeah. And I think he did find some answers going through it too. I'm sure. As we see here. All right, we're diving in chapter six. We are, yes. There's lots of analysis about Lincoln and God. I didn't even mean to say that. You want to know my my first note? What is it? Long and boring. Trim the fat. I, I, that's kind I mean, I love White's writing style, but this one, for the first time ever, I was kind of like, Oh, there's so much in here and some of it. And I want to say I am currently reading White's Abraham Lincoln biography. And I've read up to basically the election just took place. Okay. I actually love it. I find myself going, I just want to read it. So this, I am not just hating on White. This chapter, though, I felt was way overanalyzed. Went into death. I don't feel like Lincoln thought nearly as much as White did about what he wrote. Um, this could be because I was the dumbest kid in CCD class or catechism class. Um, I was like the dumbest church kid um, ever. Um, maybe that's it. No. But it just—I said long, long and boring. Trim the fat feels over analyzed. No, I I completely agree with you, like completely. Um, it it was very long, and it was like I was reading it on Saturday, and just I was, I felt at one point like my eyes were getting heavy, and I'm like, no, I've got so I had to get up and do something else and come back to it. It was just so, and it's not that it's like heavy and I don't understand the material. It's just that it's like okay, why why does this need to be discussed? I don't care. That. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was like. Oh, I don't even think Lincoln anal like you said. I don't think Lincoln was analyzing it this much. You know, he. Um, I mean, what I did, what I thought would have made the chapter really good is if he had just focused on the meditations of the divine will. You know mm-hmm. that he talks about at the very beginning that um, that he wrote in I think it was eighteen sixty two, and then. It was the thing that John Hay found 
1872, Hay gave it the uh, title Meditation of the Divine Will. I found that discussion and analysis really, really interesting in this chapter. Um, It reminds me of some of the things that he did in his bio, A. Lincoln, with analyzing speeches and all that. And I took away a lot from that. But just the discussions about the churches and fatalism... Fatalism, fatalism as well. I mean, I'm not hating on white either. Neither of us are hating on white, but this was a really like, and any of our listeners reading or that have read this, please let us know what you thought of chapter six, because it's, it was probably the heart. Like I've enjoyed every single chapter, except this one was like really heavy, I guess. But then he was like doing like poetry analysis. I know. I was like, oh, this is like English class. And church class. Yes. But one thing I like, he kind of talked about references that a lot of Lincoln's speeches, and we've talked about this too, kind of follows logical patterns, mm-hmm. like courtroom type thinking, uh, using when people make fallacies or use fallacies, he points out the flaws in that. Uh, but I think it kind of showed, you know, that everybody, know how log- no matter how much logic you think with, that sometimes you got to make a leap of faith. Yes. And... I like that aspect. And then I thought I like Spock. Like, you know, Spock is very logical mm-hmm. about stuff. Yeah. But then like in the newer Spock ones, like he like falls in love with that one girl. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like, oh, Spock can love. It's like Lincoln realized, oh, I need to make a leap of faith. You know, it's all right to embrace religion to a degree. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the one positive that I took away besides being bored out of my mind. <laughs> Well, that's what I took away from it, too. And it it was really to do with the comparison of the meditation, the divine will with the yeah. second inaugural. And where, um, and I think that's something that, and we've discussed this on the show many times before, um, where Lincoln's personal beliefs as far back as 1862 were not necessarily what he was saying politically. But then you mm-hmm. flash forward to 1865 uh, with the second inaugural, and there's basically what he wrote in 1862, except White saying it's now more concrete um, and it shows this continuity more in beliefs than in what the language of the meditation was versus the second inaugural. And it also shows that Lincoln's becoming more con- became more concrete in his ideas at the time he wrote the second inaugural. And that's something else we've discussed on the show, too. Like, we saw that when we did the episode on the annual messages to Congress, that his beliefs are changing. And maybe what he's thinking in his head and what he personally believes are not what he's telling the public at that time. Yeah. It's amazing to think like he's taken, like he's like thinking deep about just like life and taking notes and revisiting those notes. Mm -hmm. And like, it's evolving. Like, I don't know if that shit can happen nowadays. There's too many distractions and the phones and like, are the kids I have in class, are they going to grow up ever like thinking that deep about stuff? Yeah. Or they're going to be too distracted to do it. Oh, yeah. It's like you start doing, you know, like I'll start typing notes out or something for the show. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, what's going on over here? Like it, it's you get drawn away from that and pulled out of your thoughts. So, yeah, that's a really interesting point, too, that. Yeah, that's one thing that like this was really deep thinking that Lincoln was doing. Yeah, I mean, when it was the last time, I mean, Trump's definitely not doing that, like. <laughs> Did, did Obama think that deep? I, I don't feel like George W. Bush did. Mm. I don't think Clinton did. George H. W. Bush? I don't know. Like, 
Like, are we ever going to have a leader that thinks that deep about something um, and keeps notes and evolving? I don't know. Yeah, that's the thing, though. We're we're getting, you know, this is like there's been a ton of research done about Lincoln, and we're seeing like notes that he didn't mean for people to see. Yeah. Either so there could be stuff that you know, like the the person when you're, I think, in politics, you know, that the person you are in politics might not necessarily be the person that you are. I guess when you're not in politics and I think Lincoln might've been, I think Lincoln was pretty genuine, but he had these beliefs that he knew in 1862 America wasn't ready for, but by 1865, they were ready for. How many politicians do we feel think that way right now? I feel like the majority of them are thinking, all right, where do I need to stand on an issue to get elected? Just like yesterday with the state of the union address, it's just political theater. I was talking to a kid about this, like all the standing up, clapping, who's yeah. doing it, who is it. It's just like, oh, my God, terrible. Just go back to the Lincoln days to send a damn text over. Yep. I had one, so. of, I had one of my um, – well, Lincoln Belong to the Ages tweeted some of the excerpts um, from, I think it was Lincoln's second annual message to Congress Day, and I – I quoted the tweet and I explained to people like, okay, this used to be, he didn't actually go and say it. It was written out. And one of my followers, um, his name is Scott. He replied to me and he said, I think we need to go back to it being this way where, and another one said where it's not like a big top circus with the applause and the standing up and all that, because I can't imagine that stuff was happening when, when Lincoln's annual messages to Congress were being read because well, you read them all. Some of them were pretty dry. Like, yeah. You know, the more I think about this, Kurt Vonnegut wrote a book called uh, Galapagos, and it's like the mm-hmm. de-evolution of humans. They all just become dumber. That's what we're in the middle of. <laughs> <laughs> we're de-evolving. De- all right, I'm taking this in a negative rant direction. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> you got more for Chapter 6? No, I think we've hit on all the main points of it that, um, you know, White goes in, he discusses his divine will. And there's, again, this theme of how Lincoln has kind of evolved as a speaker. And he also discusses, like, there's the Presbyterian churches that Lincoln belonged to and the two reverends that played a role in his life. Um, I wanted to ask you, he says that Reverend Gurley is kind of underrated in Lincoln's life. What did you think about his, like white saying that? I didn't really know. I guess, I guess I don't know a ton about Reverend Gerling. So maybe he is underrated in his life. So I didn't have much context, I guess, to build that off of. I don't even know if I knew about him going into it. Did you? Yeah, I, I did because he was, um, he was the one that was involved in, in like Willie's funeral and just Lincoln being, and Lincoln joined that church because he said Reverend Gurley didn't talk politics. He just preached. Um, I found that kind of interesting that Lincoln just wanted something. So I think yeah. there too, it's another example of like, you know, how he find found like the Bible to be, you know, like you said, for wisdom and all that. Um, but that maybe church and going to the church allowed him just to get away and be peaceful and think well, yeah, I definitely think it provides an avenue. It's a safe space. Like, yeah. you know, he doesn't have – he knows if he goes there, especially if he has Gerling he trusted. He goes there. He knows he's not going to be persuaded by him. Um, he's got the safe space to be in. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to be there with some type of political agenda. 
with we all know politics isn't straightforward, so you're always got to be second guessing it. He didn't have to do that in that space. It was a time to reflect. And a lot of what we know about Lincoln's life is, you know, reading underneath trees, you know, studying um, stuff like that. And the more and the longer he's in the White House, probably the less and less and less times he had where he could do that stuff. Yeah. So he had to find safe spaces to do that, I would imagine. And that's probably one of the reasons why he went to probably the church as well as visiting veterans and some of the other places. So, um, yeah, I agree with you, too. You know, also without Jeremy being here, it really exposes me as being the dumb Lincoln expert of the Shut rail splitters. The dumb so, Lincoln expert. You're quite I mean, like, come on, you know who Gurling is? I'll talk to you, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. I'm on this show to make all the listeners feel better. So I'm here to be the dumb one. I will take the safe space of being dumb. <laughs> For the record, goes. Nick is not dumb. Uh, debatable. No. <laughs> No, but yes, it definitely safe space. It talks about Lincoln, like White mentions Lincoln going, and I didn't know this about Lincoln. He went on Wednesday nights to this evening prayer service, and he sat in the office and listened. And that was when I was like, "Oh, he needs to get away." Like, the thought of going to church on a Wednesday night, oh man, that makes me agitated. <laughs> <laughs> it's the eighteen sixties. What else are you going to do? <laughs> Fair enough, but man, I hated going to church. Oh, I did too. So I could barely stand it. Like Sunday, I had everything like regiment. I'm like, oh, they're asking for money. We're halfway through. Oh, we're getting communion. We're almost done. My, um, like, Jerry Jer is, uh, he's raised Catholic. He's so, yeah, that's, yeah, that's not practicing anymore. But I said, I'm like, so you went to church every Sunday? He's like, yeah. And then we went to my grandfather's. We He would cook us up a pound of bacon. And I'm like, Oh, so that's why he looked forward to every Sunday. That's all he told me. He's like, yeah, we went to church, but then we went back to my grandfather's place and ate a pound of bacon. Yeah, I remember we go out to breakfast, like to the local restaurant and carry, and go carry restaurant. And that was good. That was fun. But yeah, you just go to Catholic church, up, up, kneel, down, kneel, yeah. up, kneel, eat a snack, and then go. Yep. Yeah, that's what, yeah, that's what Jared said it was like, and... Yeah. I apologize to all my diehard Catholics listening. <laughs> We're not my, meaning to offend anybody of any religion on this show at all. My mom, I think, is starting to listen, so she'll probably <gasps> be upset with me. <laughs> Uh-oh. Sorry, Mom, if you listen to this episode. My mom hasn't listened yet, and my mom would not know how to access my podcast. Yes, my I, my parents must have recently figured it out. So oh, I don't want mine to. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> anyway, on to chapter seven, um, which is called "Every Drop of Blood Drawn with the Lash Shall Be Shall Be Paid by Another Drawn with the Sword." And when I read this, I heard Daniel Day Lewis in my head from Last Mohicans. Lincoln. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes, last no. There will be blood. Yes. No, it the- <laughs> I drink your milkshake. <laughs> Let's drag in some random Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> I enjoyed him in Gangs of New York as well, which is completely the opposite yeah. of Lincoln. My Left Foot. I've never seen that one. He's got an Oscar for it. It's supposed to be yeah. good. <laughs> so, um, my comment was after this short and sweet. 
that was my last comment, actually. That was this chapter is, if you get through chapter six, I think White wants to realize what he did because he made this nice and precise, short and sweet. Oh, yeah. When I when I was looking at how long the chapters were, and I know we had discussed doing chapter eight as well, and I looked at them and I like, texted you and I said, we're doing five, six, and seven. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, because six was like two chapters almost. Um, but yeah, seven is a lot shorter, a lot more manageable. Um, I think you, you were kind of talking about the evolution or him working, you know, through the politics and stuff. I think this finally shows the end of his evolution on slavery. Yes. Because this is finally him saying that slavery was wrong. It was the reason the war happened. It's the reason why this blood is happening. I mean, the quote that they use for the title, I mean, kind of just says it right there. Um, I think this really shows the evolution of it. I think to help show the evolution of Lincoln, he talks about Frederick Douglass and his relationship with Lincoln and then the evolution Douglass went through as on how he saw Lincoln the leader and saw, you know, where Lincoln ended up at the end, I thought was a nice way to kind of move through this chapter. Yeah, I, d- I did too. I thought it was, I thought the chapter flowed really smoothly. Um, the one thing, the one part that I found just um, interesting was the discussion of the, I think it's called the Jeremiah, the... Yeah. Form a servant among Puritans of New England, and that Lincoln's second inaugural resembled that since it includes both criticisms and then reaffirmations. And I thought that was a like, you know, it's a short discussion. It doesn't go into too in depth. It's not overwhelming. But I, I was like, oh, that's an interesting way to kind of um, look at that. And like, just how he says that when Lincoln's calling slavery an, an offense. Um, you know, he's kind of shifting the balance of his inaugural address to. Um, I think he's taking it to places where inaugural addresses had never been before. But um, then again, America was at a place where it had never been before, too. So, like, I think Lincoln's just kind of going along with things. Um, but yeah, it was a very, compared to chapter six, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I agree, too. It It read well. I think he did a very good job with this. It kind of just made me think, you know, I think Lincoln, there's certain things in life, like when you got to get rid of it, like when you do certain bad things in life, it sucks to get over it. I'm probably saying it's too lightly. Like I always think of the analogy would be like dr- like a drug addiction mm-hmm. and you're just going clean. You're going you're gonna to pay for it. Yep. You know, the withdrawals are going to be terrible. It's going to be some of the worst experience of your life. I think that's how Lincoln realized this had to be done to get rid of slavery. Mm-hmm. It was a poison to our country for too long, and the roots of it were too deep that I think he looked at the war and he understood that this is what was necessary to get rid of it. Yeah, and and also, too, to say to the to the North, you can't judge. Like, you're not, like, mm-hmm. this is on you as well, Um and that's why he's not, it's not a celebratory speech. It very well could have been, but, yeah. but it's not. And they, I mean, they haven't yet, like Lee has not yet surrendered. I mean, they, they know what's going to happen, but you know, there's no note of, oh, hey, we've, you know, we're going to do this and like, you know, charge forward and let's go get them. It's, you know, we need to think about what's happened and why and and then I think what we're going to see in the next few chapters is what we're going to do going forward. 
So he's really making Americans think about what's happened, that it's not as simple as, um, you know, this is a horrible way to put it, black and white, I guess. It's not... Mm-hmm. It's not that simple, and we it, it's on us all. No, it's definitely nowhere in the speech do you get the rah rah feeling or mm-hmm. the talking is trash or we're better than you. I mean, not at all. I mean, it's somber. It's an honest look at why the war happened. Um, it's a uh, look into the future on what he feels needs to be done, and it's not to punish somebody. Um, you know, um, it is to work through it. Um, a lot different than I think think how it would be dealt with in 2019, unfortunately. So yeah, I agree. I think, and I think we're quick to be like, "Oh, yay, we won something," whereas Lincoln was not. You know, he was looking back on this and all the lives that have been lost on both sides. There was a reason for it, and I think that's what he's trying to tell the American people. You know. Yeah, I mean. You're- you're fighting your family. I mean, yeah. you're not going to celebrate after that. If you're fighting a stranger, you know, in the boxing ring or something, yeah. But this is a an issue that's torn the family apart. Oh, yeah, the amount of brother against brother or yeah. that that I've read about is just, like, I, I can't imagine what that did to families. And when there's family fights, there's usually not, you know, after it's all done and that's dust settles there's not usually a lot of talking trash there's a lot of regret um and you know moving forward and trying to mend things so yeah which is what lincoln was trying to do in his second inaugural you know he's saying like this is on us all but you know we need to move forward and get back to being the 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 great nation that that we we once were agreed you know and i think too he's probably thinking back to like in seven you know american revolution like did they fight for this as well. well, the South, the South thought they were fighting oh. for what the revolutionary. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And the other thing that I really liked about this chapter is that you know when White talks about how he imagined Lincoln speaking the words, I always find that really, I don't know, it really hits it home for me with stuff that I find myself reflecting and thinking, okay, how would he have spoken those words? And I know I kind of joked around at the beginning, like, oh, yeah, I totally heard Daniel Day-Lewis's voice. But, yeah, it really makes you think, well, how would Lincoln have spoken those words? So I like that he throws that analysis into this as well to make the reader, um, I think, just think on that a little bit. Yeah, and that's the one uh, good thing about this State of the Union now, I guess, is you do get to see how it was spoken the words there's too much damn standing but mm. no that that is interesting because i think that's something we very easy relatable especially if you're you know book readers like all of us partaking book club probably are that's always stuff that's going on in your head yeah you know what's the cadence a person uses when delivering stuff so yeah like how how did he speak this word how did he speak this sentence and mm-hmm. how and also how was it received by the audience like i think the one thing I'm taking away from this is that I think he gave a speech that they maybe weren't expecting. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the audience in my head is like, all right. Yeah. They're excited. And then they're like kind of shocked. But then the more they listen, they're like, holy shit. Like this is powerful. Mm-hmm. It impacted them. That's what I like to think. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, and, and then it's like one of those at the end and you're just like, wow, that was 
a master mm-hmm. right there. A master uh, giving speeches, not a master as in the slavery issue. <laughs> that would not go well with this speech. <laughs> no. Just to be clear, we're not condoning slavery. <laughs> that is true. But, I mean, and when you, um, I, know, I was thinking about it too, it's like those two speeches that are on the Lincoln Memorial, the Gettysburg Address, and the second inaugural. Like, those are two that you read, like, you know, for me, I read them both when I'm there. And last time I was in Washington, I went to the Lincoln Memorial five times and I read each of those speeches every single time I was there. Um, and you really come away like, wow, that's, it's powerful no matter how many times you read it. Agreed. I do not read it every single time. If I went there, if I were to go there five times, one trip, that's a lot of times to go there and I would not have read it all. Uh, five yeah. Times. Yeah, I went there. We went there to start off our day, end our day. And then one time it was like kind of in between when we needed a rest. So you go, I need a rest. I'm going to read these speeches. Yeah. I would yeah. not. I'd be like, we're going to rest. I need a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get the Lincoln sandwich. And then. <laughs> no, it's just, it's, it's a good place to go and reflect too. And um, yeah, I'm just giving you a hard yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I am. If I was there five times in one trip, though, I can honestly say I would not have read those speeches five times. Yeah, I'm not much of a geek. <laughs> so, and that's why you know who uh, Gerling is, and I didn't. So, <laughs> I'm not much rail splitters. I am that much of a geek. This is rail splitter nation, so that's a positive uh, quality. Yeah, I hope so. Um, sorry, that's. Um, do you have anything to add to? What we read? You know, five and seven were good. Six, way too damn long. Yep. If we try to get White on this, hopefully he doesn't listen to this episode because he probably will never come on. <laughs> so in our next book club episode, which um, we will let you know soon when that will be, we are going to be discussing, as I flip to the table of contents because I'm just so prepared, um, chapters eight and nine, but then there's also like a bit of the epilogue as well. So chapters eight and nine are pages 164 to pages 200. I think we need less time in between the book club episodes. Yes, I agree. Let us know if you disagree because we're going to go to it quicker. Yeah. Next week, get it read. No, I'm just joking. Yep. Not that quick. We're going to do it next month. <laughs> Um, so anyway, so that is our episode on the Lincoln's greatest speech. And obviously we're going to come back and talk to you about chapters eight and nine at some point very, very soon, probably a lot sooner than what was between, um, the episode previous to this about chapters one through, through four. Um, so we have our weekly features and we have our, of the people first, Nick, do you have anything as we both grab our phones looking to see what we've liked and didn't like, um, as I continue to talk about us being unprepared yeah. to buy any more I, time. I, 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 I do have I do have one. Go ahead. Okay, actually, it's not one in particular. It is um, our listeners. Um, just for all the interactions on Twitter and Facebook, and I have a few shout-outs to make. <laughs> Um, first to one of our new listeners, Jay, he was on, I think it was an Abraham Lincoln group looking for 
He specifically asked, can anyone recommend an Abraham Lincoln podcast? And Ben and John, both who are real splitters, spoke up and mentioned, oh, the real splitter podcast. And John specifically said the real splitter podcast, all others are light beer, (laughs) which... Oh, yeah. yeah that was so thank you ben and john for that and um shout out to jay who um he actually asked about merchandise and he bought a mug he bought he a did. mug he bought a mug so we sold a mug so thank you for that um and just everybody on twitter that was interacting over the weekend um i try and be on i i try and post stuff on there in the weekends because i know more of you are around and that's when i have more time as well um Tom Pete, who's one of, he's a member of our Facebook page. He was posting some Abraham Lincoln markers that he's doing some traveling in. I think it is, if I can find it here. Um, is that the one where the or the eight circuit? Yeah, eight circuit. Hey, uh, hey, Jay, talking to you. You should put this on pause. Give us a five star rating in iTunes. And put just hashtag Nick favorite rail splitter. <laughs> In reality, you don't really have to rate us because that probably just wants you to go put it on pause, give it a one star. Stangy's the worst. Nick's the worst rail splitter. So, and then um, I want to do a shout out to my friend Jake who he messaged me on Facebook the other day and said, "Hey, I'm listening to the Rail Splitter podcast." And then I got another message an hour later. This is really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Jake. So thank you to Jake. And actually, I'm all about small businesses and stuff. Jake is actually, he is one of three owners of a winery. And for those of you who follow me on social media, Facebook or Twitter, or wherever, know that I really like wine. Um, anyway, so I've been going to Sage Creek for about a year and I became friends with Jake and a couple of the other owners there. And um, so if you ever find yourself in Memphis, Michigan, make your way over to Sage Creek. They have excellent wine and it's very friendly and make sure you say hello to Jake when you're in there. But yeah, he is another new listener of ours. So I just want to thank him for that. The wine must be good because Mary drinks a bottle every time we do an episode. I do. So that's why you can tell she's drunk right now. And I'm joking. (laughs) Uh, dude, since we're doing all these shout outs, we need to give shout out to your partner, Jer, who has now become the show's producer these yeah. last few episodes. Yeah. So he has been helping me and Mary out since Jeremy was the one running Rail Splitter. Well, I guess they're both Rail Splitters now. Yeah. So, yeah, you're the man because I know he's going to listen to this because he works on the audio. So, yeah. Jer, you're the man. Yes. Jer A, as he's come to be known on the podcast, you are the man. And thank you so much for um, editing it and helping me get it posted because uh, I would have no clue how to do this otherwise. And a belated thank you, Jeremy, for the previous 75 episodes that you put up online. <laughs> yes, Jeremy. <laughs> that thank you. That. So both since we just ride your guys' coattails. Uh, since we've had all this time now, I did find something that I could shout out to for our segment. The Lincoln Museum, next week, free admission on February 12th, because it is Big Abe's birthday. 
So they got activities. They're going to have people there. So free admission if you're in the Springfield area next Tuesday um, to the museum. So bring your kids on out um, and enjoy Lincoln's birthday. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you do anything to celebrate it, Nick? Yeah. We're going to do a whole episode. Yes, we are. What did we do? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I chopped wood and spoke Shakespeare, <laughs> wore a big hat. Yeah, so for our listeners, we will be doing an episode. Our next episode will be about Abraham Lincoln, and we're going to be discussing gifts that we would like to give him, and we would like your input. So um, if you're listening to this, just tweet at us or comment on Facebook, and I will post something about it on Facebook very soon. Um, but what would you give Abraham Lincoln as a gift? And we will discuss that on our next episode. And finally, we're going to end up with end off with our This Week in Lincoln, which it's not the most exciting one, but I was looking around for um, some Lincoln swag, I guess you could say. And on Etsy, I came across a pair of earrings, which I did actually post to my Twitter account, I think, last week. Um, but anyway, they're just like, they're of the Gettysburg photo of Lincoln, which is my favorite photo of him. And I couldn't pass them up when I saw them. So pick them up. Of course. Lincoln jewelry. Yep. It's a, uh, a booming business. I did see they were at the Gettysburg visitor center. They had earrings that were like in pennies. And I, I don't know. I didn't like those. Man, just calling out that store yeah. for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> At least when I was calling out White, we were reading his book. Okay. Other than the tacky earrings, the, the visitor center at Gettysburg is amazing, and I dropped an obscene amount of money in there in yeah, November. It is. Yeah, it is. Including on a George Mead mug, because I apparently can't go anywhere without coming home with five mugs. Yeah, that's an illness. It is. You got to do something about that. <laughs> All right, this is a solid show, I right. think. Yep, I think we... We'll know after Jay rates it. Yes. <laughs> so, hopefully it's five stars. Hopefully. Well, it's our third episode of just two rail splitters. The third will be rejoining us soon again but maybe after this episode it might be next week yeah, i'm coming back now <laughs> show's going down to shitter but anyway we will be back with you um soon hopefully next week with another episode um so nick any parting thoughts no thank you for uh i know we've had a lot of people join the facebook club so thank you you know our new listeners jake and jay uh Thank you very much. So hopefully you continue to enjoy the show and start thinking of those birthday gift ideas for Lincoln. Okay. So thank you, everybody. And until next time, keep walking the world with malice toward none and with charity for all. And we will see you next week.